Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. I did that way too enthusiastically. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize because here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. If this is your first time to The Art of Charm, Fan Mail Friday is a great sample of how we operate at AOC, but by no means a full helping of all our show has to offer. Listener interaction is one of my favorite parts of the show, and without you, we would have no show to show for. That's too many shows. But our typical content is much more in-depth with well-known top performers in their field. We work to unpack their methods, their theories, and their hard-earned insights. And these are the people you either know or should know, and we use a longer format to help you understand what processes or steps they used which helped them become successful. We distill those concepts then, of course, to help you apply them to your own life. And for a great place to start, check out some of our most popular episodes at theartofcharm.com, where you can find the best of, as well as our fundamentals toolbox, which includes topics such as reading body language and charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. We'll send all that to your inbox if you text CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 in the States, or you can just go to theartofcharm.com or even grab our iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone. All right, let's cut to it. Hey, Jordan. About two years ago, I ended a serious relationship with my ex-girlfriend due to distance and incompatibility. In all honesty, this was the best thing that had ever happened to me because I used this time apart to develop myself and work on my anxieties. Now I'm much more driven and I have a great group of friends. Basically, I'm a confident individual with an attractive lifestyle. However, during these years of development, I used my breakup to evade physical and emotional relationships with the opposite sex. I would constantly tell myself that I wasn't ready for that type of relationship just yet. Fast forward to about a month ago when I met a particularly cute and interesting woman through some good friends. We hung out a few times and eventually happened to sleep together. Immediately, I kind of knew that in the long run, this type of person would not be someone I looked to to have a serious relationship with. I feel like one day I will know when the time is right or know when a particular mate is right for me. This woman constantly texts and communicates with me via social media, and after we'd slept together, I had essentially told her this. Look, before we continue, I just have to let you know that I'm wanting something chill, and I'm just looking to have fun right now. I'm not looking for, and I'm not in a rush to be serious. So, those are my intentions, and I would feel bad if we continued and emotions got in the way somehow. She said that it was cool, and she likes spending time with me, and wants to just enjoy whatever this is. So, we kept things casual and kept hanging out here and there. Since it's been a while since I've been in a relationship, I'm confused. 
is what I'm doing technically ethical or not? I don't feel guilty because I've let her know my intentions and provided an exit for her if she wasn't into it. However, I pose a few questions. Previously, I would attach feelings to such a relationship. However, I'm quite certain that this isn't a relationship that I want to consider long term. Is it wrong of me to think that I will eventually just know when a particular person enters my life, or am I essentially waiting for something that may never happen? I may be overanalyzing everything, but am I wrong to continue seeing this person with little to no intentions of dating or committing to them? Is this a selfish way of acting to have my own needs met as feelings may be hurt in the immediate future? Perhaps this is an example of my fear of commitment. I loved being single and loved the time I was alone and think this might be a problem to which I mentally think all relationships won't be as great as my time by myself. Are there any resources or anything to which I could use to work on myself in this regard? Thanks, everyone, and God bless. Sincerely, TD. Well, TD, in my opinion, in my experience, you often won't just know. And I think that's one of those fallacies that a, a lot of people say that. The 2020 hindsight is, when do you just know? And, oh, well, you, you'll just know. It makes no sense to to do that, in my experience, in my opinion. You know, but it's not this sudden dawning realization that this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. For me, it was a much more logical process. I had feelings that said things like I wanted to do that, but then my rational brain kicked in and said, okay, is this something that's going to make sense long term? Are your values in alignment? So in other words, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I will say you often won't just know, but you will know when something is not for you for the most part. That will dawn on you right away. So if you're having that feeling, don't try and fight that because you're thinking, oh, I'm immature. Maybe I don't have the right outlook. Sure, sometimes you become friends and something grows, but it's pretty rare. I actually can't even think of an example in this case where somebody was friends and thought, I'm never going to get together with this person. And then they they do. And usually if that is the case, I'm, I'm, I know I've heard of this happening, but if you do think, well, I'm never going to get together with this person, it's usually because you think, well, we're just too good of friends or there's, you know, there really isn't any chemistry there. That's fine. That can maybe grow into something, but it's usually not, look, I never want a relationship with this person because there's all these factors that aren't going to work out. And you would also not just be friends with this person. That's a totally different situation. In other words, something can grow if all the other pieces are in place, maybe, but I don't have a lot of evidence for that. However, nothing's going to happen if this is somebody that you think is casual for a multitude of reasons and you're worried about your level of maturity. No, it's just not something that's going to happen for you, most likely in this case. I can't name a single man for whom this has happened where something they tried to force this issue that didn't end in a short run relationship. I mean, again, I'm sure it's happened, but I wouldn't count on it. So no, you're not waiting for something that'll never happen. And you're probably right about this relationship just being fun and having no long-term potential. And yes, I think as far as telling her that you're in it for fun, you're laying your cards on the table, that is the right thing to do. It still doesn't guarantee that one or both of you won't catch feelings. And ethics do dictate that you always have those cards on the table. You always have to have the cards on the table. Don't do that thing where you said it once five months ago, so you're good to go. Look, she still might get hurt. But if, if, if your cards are on the table, if you're always plain dealing, at some point, you can't always accept responsibility for other people's feelings. But that's only as long as you're being transparent and you're not lying through omission. Don't let her think something else deliberately because actions do speak louder than words. So no, 
bringing her to all your family parties and hanging out with her and texting her and calling her late every night and then being like, by the way, that one thing I said five months ago about this being casual, remember that. That's not fair. So you have to be very careful with this. Transparency is the way that you exercise care with this. Leave everything and everyone better than you found them also dictates that if you see her falling for you for real, you have to end things. Otherwise, she's going to wake up in love one day and you're really going to hurt her feelings. So in a perfect world, you'd be able to tell someone that you're not serious and they'd be able to control their emotions, but that's not reality. So you have to keep an eye on her heartstrings and on your own if you want to avoid emotional issues later on down the line. Hope that helps. So I've been getting a lot of really interesting feedback lately about people who are really glad that me and Jason and the other guests use a lot of personal examples and a lot of really great feedback about how they love hearing about how I apply this stuff in my own life. And on the other side, there's been the occasional bit of feedback about, oh, you you know, you talk too much about yourself. And I notice that that comes usually from new listeners who might not get the format of the show or understand why that's useful. And I get a handful of these every couple of months or so. But what I want to really be clear on here is I'm modeling the type of discussion that I want from the guest. Vulnerability in terms of me talking about how I've had a failure or a shortcoming in a previous a previous life or previous career, previous few years, and then me going through that door to the dark room as we use in the AOC analogy. In other words, vulnerability, rapport, I've got to open the door to that area, the door to the dark room, and walk in first. That's what gets the confirmation to the guest that, hey, this is going to be that type of conversation. And you'll notice that after I go into my so-called therapy sessions, which is one thing somebody said, it's always just a therapy session for Jordan. Um, After I go into one of my so-called therapy sessions, the conversation gets more personal, it gets deeper, it gets more authentic almost every single time. Same thing with so-called bragging. I want stories from the guest. The guest isn't going to go down the road of telling a cool story or applying this stuff or showing us how it worked in their life or how they discovered a concept unless I go first. That is a very common conversational tactic. It's a very common trait in conversations in general or interactions in general. You have to go first and set the tone. This is a conversational technique. And I think maybe people will be a bit more understanding and cut me, Jason, the guest, whatever, a bit more slack if they can see the technique now and they can see how and why it works and then see it working in real time. And also, since Art of Charm doesn't have a script like Planet Money, for example, I sometimes have to narrate points to clarify, to keep things simple, and reiterate important points in order to reset the audience, that's you, and make sure we are all on the same page. And I think that's very helpful, and I'm not going to stop doing that no matter what anyone says. I just wanna be clear on why this happens. People turn off audio when they get lost. So that's why we give the roadmap of where we're going to go in the beginning and why I check in as best I can with you, the listener, in the only way that I can, which is during the show, whenever I think it's appropriate to do so. So even if something seems like an unnecessary interruption, it may just be because you're following more closely or less closely, or maybe you didn't see the function of what I'm doing here. It's not just about, oh, I need to start talking now for no reason because it's my show. Jason wouldn't let me do that anyway. And he would cut that out of the final release of the show, even if I did manage to sneak it in. So stuff like that's not going to slip through the cracks. It's necessary. It serves a function. And I hope now that if you all can see what that function is, you might not only be able to use it for yourself, but you'll also be able to see how that's working on the show and why it works. I think... uh a lot of folks don't understand that the reason I'm giving examples from my own life is so the guest says, yes, and this, 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 or tells a story. I think they're just like, oh, this guy going off on his own tangent again. And 
a lot of these guests that we're interviewing here on the show are not used to actually even being allowed to talk about themselves or how this applies. A lot of them are academics. They write a book about this, and their students only care about data. They don't want the story. And we're kind of the opposite. I hope that's helpful for the listening audience at large. All right. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Jordan. I hire muralists for approximately 25 nonprofit volunteer events a year, and I wanted to give Lydia from Fan Mail Friday 105 a little bit of advice. Most major cities in the U.S. have a nonprofit that focuses on volunteering, like mine, and most of us paint a lot of murals. So my first suggestion is to find one nearest to her and introduce herself by going out to a volunteer event. We're not going to pay what the corporations pay, but it's a great way to build a portfolio and gain lots of experience. Most muralists work for me once and never again due to a lack of professionalism. The ones who work well, I hire again and again. The second and most important suggestion, if she gets hired, be professional. That means showing up to locations when you say you will, responding in a timely manner to emails and calls, providing mock-ups by the date the client has requested, etc. I've had so many muralists just forget when we have an appointment, or say they will sketch the wall on a specific day and not show up until the morning of an event. I plan over 30 events a year for thousands of volunteers, so I don't have time for unprofessional behavior. You don't get a pass because you're an artist. I'm not unreasonable, so if there's an issue, let me know. I schedule expecting problems. But most of the muralists I work with just flake, sometimes literally disappearing in the middle of the planning process. I've cut at least 10 muralists from my contact sheet in the past six months alone. If she does good work, is professional about it, and treats this like a business, she will be miles ahead of other artists. In fact, if she's interested, willing to be professional, and in the greater L.A. area, feel free to give her my email. I need more muralists. I wish her all the best. Thanks for everything you and the gang at The Art of Charm do. Signed, Muraling Marty. I like this, and I wanted to include this in here because I think the idea, there, there's this thing with artists, not every artist, of course, but a lot of artists where it's not just the disorganization or the sort of fly-by-night vibe that a lot of them are giving off unintentionally. I used to do that myself. I mean, it was just part of me growing up as well. And I'm not saying artists are immature either, but what I am saying is there's almost this free spirit thing that they can't turn off. And... If that's you, then you need to figure out how to set it up and use your own psychology against you so that you match what Muraling Marty is is looking for here. And if you can't do that, you need to hire a manager because the idea that you're losing a lot slash maybe even most of your business because of these little silly correctable issues, uh, I think is just such a shame. And I'd love to see more art get supported. And the way to do that is to be able to mesh your art with business in the proper way. So hopefully this is useful. All right, next up. I'd love it if you would interview some controversial people, such as Islamic extremists, maybe even someone from ISIS. You've got interview chops, and I think it'd be really interesting. Signed, Cynthia. Hey, Cynthia, I love this idea. I thought of this a lot in the past. I talked about it at length with producer Jason as well. And I don't do interviews like this for a couple of reasons. One... People are upset about enough things in the world today, and rightfully so, since some of these things are indeed upsetting. Also, there are lots of people upset at things that aren't or shouldn't be upsetting in the least, and these people will get triggered by just about anything, and I think they secretly enjoy being triggered, and I don't want to attract those people to the show for obvious reasons. Number two, and this is the more important reason, a lot of people come here to get a break from that stuff as well and to try to find positivity and things they can use to learn and move forward. So don't get me wrong. I am happy to have conversations around things that are controversial, but I'm not here to generate controversy for the purposes of publicity or so that people can gawk 
at that. And it sounds a little bit cheesy and woo-woo, but I'm taking a page out of Oprah's book here and not allowing people who have despicable views that have no benefit or value to society to use the show as a platform of any kind. And what, I, what I'm referring to here is, I think it was like season two or three of the Oprah show. She had these white supremacist guys on there. And during the taping of the show, they had said something like, this is working or this is great or something like that. And, and Oprah realized and her production team realized in the middle of the show, wow, whoops, these guys are using us as a platform. They know that they're not looking good here. They know that they're blowing it, but they're still reaching a wider audience. And I'm not really going to allow that to happen here. I'm not for censorship, I'm all for education, but when a platform has absolutely zero intellectual value whatsoever, or a platform has absolutely zero societal value whatsoever, and is designed merely to destroy things that everyone else likes, or to get attention because they didn't get hugged enough as a kid and now they decide to go blow themselves up somewhere, I'm not going to humor that. Just not even a little bit. And I think I speak for all of us that we want the show to be a force for good, not just to do no harm, and definitely not to entertain any viewpoint or idea just to get clicks or cheap media hits on blogs, social media, etc. I think it's really important to be an actual force for good. So thanks for your idea, and thanks for being a fan of the show, and I hope this explanation makes sense. We will have some ISIS slash terrorism adjacent topics, but they will always relate to the core themes of AOC when we do them. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, Jason, next question. Hey, guys, I love the show. I've got a quick question. I've been doing great in social settings, in no small part from listening to the podcast. I'm able to connect quickly and develop real rapport. The problem is that many people I meet seem like they would be content to continue talking with me all night long, whereas I'm looking to meet and talk to other people. I try to gracefully extricate myself from the conversation, but often people seem clingy and even jealous when I talk to other people. When I'm well-steeped in a social environment, I would try to connect the person I'm talking to with another person that would like them, but that isn't possible in many situations. How can I negate some of the negative feelings when I talk with other people after building rapport with the person I'm currently talking to? Keep up the good work. Not so graceful, George. 
Hey, George, this is a good problem to have, right? I mean, it sounds like you're social, you're making other people feel comfortable. Great. You've obviously done the first few steps of the things that we teach here at The Art of Charm when it comes to social capital, networking, and things like that. And you've obviously made really good use of the networking episodes that we have on the show and in the toolbox. So let me teach you a few ejection techniques that <laughs> that we can use to help you move along. The first one, I guess you would just call the wingman, which essentially is now you've got this person you're talking with, you can join other groups together with them. And that's a great way to do this because now you're moving with that person, you're introducing them to other people, they're moving around with you. Even if they get quiet or awkward, it doesn't really matter because you're still going to be leading interactions and meeting new people and you're not stuck with somebody who just wants to talk to you the whole night. That's the wingman. Basically, you just become one unit, you move around together, you can introduce them to other folks, you can introduce other folks to them. And that leads to the next one, which is called the pawn off, which essentially you can become a wingman temporarily or they can become your wingman temporarily. And by wingman, I don't mean you're, you have any particular goal in mind. It's just a silly name for joining a, a group and running around with somebody else. I don't want this to turn into like a pickup girls thing. But the pawn off is the offshoot of the wingman where you're moving around as a unit with this other person that now likes you a little bit too much. You can even say something like, Hey, I'm George, and this is my friend Andy. We just met here at this event, and you can introduce them to this other group. And if you decide, all right, well, this other group here seems like a good place to plant uh, Andy. He's feeling comfortable and social, and you can just say, all right, guys, I'm going to go grab something to eat, or I'm going to go to the bathroom, or you can just excuse yourself for any other reason, and you can bounce. And that's after you sort of introduce them to another group. The, another way to do the pawn off is if you're meeting other people that are sort of isolated, you can then introduce Andy, the Andy the anchor, to somebody else that you've met who also finds you two enthralling and, and you're thinking, I just want to move on. And then those two can sort of magnetize for the rest of the evening. So basically, if it's like finding two wingmen and you just let them, like magic marbles or magnetic marbles, attract to one another, and then you can go off and do your own thing. And that was what we call the mutual intro. So there's the pawn off where you get rid of them <laughs> in another group, uh, the wingman where you run around with them the whole night, and the mutual intro where you find another another anchor and you introduce them to each other. And then, of course, the polite excusal where you just leave them on their own, uh, which is less ideal, I think, and not necessarily leaving everything better than you found it. But you got to be careful not to drag yourself down or feel obligated the whole night where you just say, well, it was nice meeting you. And you can go to the bathroom, you can go get some food, or you can go join some other folks. That is a little bit more of a hurtful way to do things because you do leave them on their own. However, if they're not going to play ball and they're not going to walk around with you and they're not going to meet other people, you don't have the obligation to sit with them the whole night and ruin your own experience. So great job on being super social. But yeah, you got to leave people better than you found them up to a point at which you're hurting yourself and your own chances at continuing your night. So great stuff here. I think personally the best way to do this is the wingman. I think you can make a lot of people more social that are initially very shy. And uh, there's no reason to really pawn anybody off or get rid of them in any way or leave them standing alone. I think the best thing you can do is bring them up to your level and just lead the way. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, Jordan, but if you're you're trying to do the polite excusal and you, you, you use the old, uh, I got to go to the bathroom line. And then they're like, oh, that's a good idea. And then they follow you to the bathroom. You ever have that one happen? I do. And what's okay about that is there's the change of environment. So you go to the bathroom and you're hanging out and, you know, in the bathroom, whatever you go and you wash your hands and then you can leave. Like somehow, in my mind anyway, that sort of resets everything. You don't have to wait for them to finish or you don't have to, you know, 
go and hang out and talk to them in the restroom. You can go to the restroom and then you can handle your business there. You can wash your hands, check your phone, whatever. Um, and if you finish before them or you finish after them, you know, you can just walk out and do your own thing. You kind of walk out with a clean slate. You don't have to wait for them, etc. But, you know, I still think the nice best thing to do is to introduce them with other people. If they're talking with you and they're latching onto you because they're shy, that's fine. Bring them with you. Introduce them to other folks. Make them your little wingman. If you need to, if they're super weird and there's something going on and they're not all there, then, yeah, then I understand, like, look, this is just too much. I can't hang out with this person who's ranting about politics the whole night or angrily discussing his ex-wife the whole night. Like, that you don't have to put up with, right? But if it's just a little social awkwardness or shyness, be the bigger man or woman and introduce them to all your friends and all the other friends that you're making at the event. It's fine. It's you should be able to withstand a little bit of of I hate this term, but dead weight during a social interaction. You you can. I mean, it's we're not in high school. It's not. Oh, I'm not hanging out with the nerds anymore. Like, don't do that. <laughs> That's don't do that. That's rude. It's uh, it's not who you are. If you're already social enough to be able to meet all these people and people really like you, then forget about what social value they have and what they bring to a short-term interaction. You don't have to invite them to your wedding and be friends with them for the next decade. You just have to hang out with them for the rest of the night. And even then, you don't have to. Again, if they're talking about their ex-wife and you know they're ranting about Trump and the economy, then just freaking you know move <laughs> along <laughs> or introduce them to the other guy that's doing that. You know, there's really, there's really nothing you have to suffer through. Um, it's, I think a lot of people overthink this. When I first started getting really social and going and networking and stuff like that, I was like, uh-oh, this person wants to keep talking to me, and I want to keep meeting people. And really, the wingman strategy was the best way to do that. Uh, there were very few times where I had to, like, run away from somebody <laughs> or, or, yeah. or get rid of them in some other way that wasn't – that was not – uh, useful and beneficial to them. And every time I did do that, I always felt bad about it. There's just no reason to do it. And it doesn't happen as often as you, you'd think. Most people are pretty cool at these events, you know? It's so rare. Yeah. You, you, chances are George is just dealing with somebody who's a little shy and goes, oh, good. This person and I are in a conversation now. I don't feel so awkward. They're not going to worry about you wanting to go meet other people. They probably want to do that, too. They just don't know how to set the tone and, and start off doing that. They don't know. So since you do, you're up. All right. Last but not least. Jordan, what's something you think about all the time that you think makes you crazy compared to other people? This is a great one and a weird one, of course, but I like these. There's probably a lot of this. But the first one that comes to mind is, and I'm wondering if other people think about the same stuff. Once I asked Jenny about this, probably a few months or even a year into us dating, and she has the exact same thing, so I have faith that other humans do. Does anyone else think of the most ridiculous thing you could do in any given situation? For example, I might be talking with somebody at a serious event and this is, you know, this distinguished person or whatever. And I might think, what would happen if I just slap this person in the face right now? And I have no ill will intent whatsoever <laughs> towards that person. I'm not disinterested in the conversation. There's nothing bad about them. I would never hurt them. But I just think, huh. In an alternate universe where Jordan is some sort of like impulsive psychopath, I would wind up and just wail this person just to see what everybody else does and what they do and what that would feel like. But I never, I would never do it. And that's one reason why I'm afraid to try 
certain types of, of drugs, I guess, <laughs> because not just the harm it would do to my body or whatever. Okay, that aside, I wonder, is there a substance out there that if I had this particular magic pill where I would just start doing impulsive stuff, like what happens if I throw a rock through that really nice plate glass window that's setting up against my neighbor's garage that they're going to install? I don't want to do that. But the the dark side of my brain is like, wow, what would happen if I did that? The shatter would be so loud. And I realize that somewhere in my teenage brain, there's a bad kid that never got out or at least didn't get out much that would have maybe thought more seriously about doing that. And and still, that's those are horrible things. But I, I guess they could be a lot worse. right? I never think about like murdering people, but I definitely think about what kind of chaos could I inject into the situation with a simple gesture or or a, a smack across the face and I wonder if other people think that way or if I'm just a weird disturbed at some level individual well I'm keeping you away from the tequila that's for sure yeah I mean I think if I got really drunk something like that I might do a little bit more of this but I still don't think I would wind up and slap a stranger across the face that seems out of character for you for sure it, it does and and that's the most common one that I have. That's why I wrote that example in here in the notes, because that is that's the most common thing that I have where I'll be sitting there and somebody will be talking to me like someone really nice, like a friend of mine I've had for years. And I just think, what would the reaction be if I just, whoosh, you know, in the middle of this cafe? But I obviously it's never going to happen. Um and the reaction is pretty predictable, right? They would be in shock, they would be mad, and they would leave, and everybody around us would stare at me. So it's not like a social experiment that even has any value. It's just something that crosses my mind, and I wonder, am I insane, or do other people think about things like this? So if you think about things like this, let me know. It makes me feel a little better as well, because I sometimes wonder, uh-oh, what's going on upstairs? Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget you can email us at Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF110. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. And Jason, you're also on the Twitter, right? I'm on Twitter at JPDef. And you can also catch my other podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're on the podcast One App, iTunes, and GOG.show. All right. And don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. You can text CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 in the U.S. Or you can just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. We'll take you step by step at making personal and professional connections, becoming better at that, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal social capital and your charisma. And as for both guys and gals unisex challenge so check that out text the word charmed c-h-a-r-m-e-d to 33444 in the states or just go to theartofcharm.com by the way i host another show that's quite a bit different on the forbes network on podcast one it's called the forbes list i interview forbes editors and other talented folks about the lists that forbes keeps of everything from billionaires to the fastest growing companies in tech you can find the forbes list anywhere you listen to podcasts Quick shout out to Mary T. Gave me some good advice, a list of 100 things that she wishes other women told her when she lost her mojo and felt a little bit lost. That's great. And she's a big fan of the show as well. Thanks, Mary. And to the USA wrestling team. I hope you all kill it in Tokyo in 2020, fellas. Make us proud. Maybe I'll come check you out over there. I found out that the wrestling team, a large number of the wrestling team, listens to The Art of Charm, which is awesome. So I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes recently, especially the stuff that we've had recently with some of the athletes. I think you guys will really dig 
Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up and I'll shout you out. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week here in L.A. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.